Are you a gentle person? Let's find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Gentleness and personal rights. What do those two things have to do with Philippians 4-5? Paul wanted the Philippians to be gentle to all men. But how is that possible when all men don't respond equally to you? Well, let's find the answer to this and other questions today as we look at Philippians 4, 5 and see what happens when you're filled with joy and when you're not. Well, let me invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Last week when we were together, we were looking at verse 4 and we saw the believer's joy. And this morning we're going to look at verse 5 and we're going to see the believer's gentleness. But so that we have the context in mind, I'm going to begin reading back at verse 1. Verse 1. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. You know, division in the church is never a good thing. In fact, Proverbs 6.16 says that it's something that God hates. In fact, it is an abomination to Him. And because we are all sinners and we still have this fallen flesh, this unfortunately occurs. And that is why we must walk in the power of the Spirit of God. That's not something that should happen once, but it's something that should happen all the time. Paul describes it in Galatians 5.16 as walking when he says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He describes it as walking. And what is walking? It's one step at a time. It's moment by moment. And since he tells us to walk by the Spirit, and since he tells us, like in Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit, this is something that we have to do all the time. As we yield to the Spirit of God, He fills us. He controls us. And probably one of the best ways to describe what it means to be filled with the Spirit is just the parallel passage is found in Colossians chapter 3. The parallel passage says this in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, how do we know that that's a parallel passage? Well, we know because after he says that, you hear the results that occur after the Word is controlling you. Those same results are the same as Ephesians 5, 19 through into chapter 6 because he says the same thing. And so we need to be filled with the Spirit, and how you know you're filled with the Spirit is when you're controlled by the Word of God. And so you could see how important it is that we let the Word of God get into us as we're memorizing it, as we're meditating on it, as we're reading it, as we're studying it, as we're listening to messages about the Word, as we're listening to the Word or we're reading the Word. All of these different avenues, all of these different ways that we're putting the Word of God into our hearts. And we have to do that. 
And the reason why that we have to do that is because we have this flesh. This flesh does not want to surrender to God. This flesh does not want to surrender to the Spirit. This flesh does not want to obey Christ. And the only way that you're going to put to death the members which are on the earth, as Colossians 3 continues to say, is that you have to be controlled by the Word of God and controlled by His Spirit, who is the author of the Word of God. And when you're controlled by the Spirit of God, it produces or He produces fruit. And what is that fruit? Well, you know Galatians 5, and 23. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things. You know, it's very interesting. It doesn't say, but the fruits, plural, even though we're seeing plural. No, it's actually one fruit. This is one of those fruits that you bite in and you get all these multiple flavors. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what the tree of life tasted like that Adam and Eve had access to? You know, in the very end, the tree of life will be back in the pictures in Revelation 22. And so it's coming back. And it will be the healing of the nations, as the Scripture says. But all of this is what's produced. It's not, you know, oh, I need more joy in my life, but I have plenty of love, or I, I need a lot of peace, but I, but I sure could use some patience. No, you get it all. When you're filled with the Spirit, you get all of this, all at one time. And so as we look at this, we're going to see how important it is that we let the Spirit of God work in us so that He manifests these kinds of behaviors that we're looking at here in Philippians chapter 4. And by the way, at the end of Galatians 5, it says that against such things there is no law. Paul means right there is that you don't want to restrain the Spirit of God. You don't want to restrain the fruit of the Spirit. But he has already been talking about the works of the flesh prior to saying, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And he says that you want to restrain. And we have laws that are part of that restraint, right? That our society is governed upon. We want to restrain evil. Even though it looks like in our world today not much is being restrained. But believe me, it is. And we'll know the difference when the Holy Spirit is removed from this world of what the restraint looked like. But right now, He is restraining according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. But you don't want to restrain the Spirit. You do want to restrain the flesh. In fact, Ephesians 4.30 tells us that the Holy Spirit is grieved when we fail to put on the new self. If we're involved in things like lying, unrighteous anger... Stealing, or we have a corrupt mouth, corrupt communication comes out of our mouth. I don't think any Christian should have cuss words coming out of their mouth. And when we're doing that, what we're doing is grieving the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God doesn't want us to talk like that. He doesn't want us to live like that. He doesn't want us to live like we used to live. He wants us to live under the new self, the new man. So according to Ephesians 4.22, we have to put off or we have to lay aside the flesh. And as Paul is writing here in Philippians 4, he's calling for certain behaviors among God's people. Notice in verse 4, he wants them to rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, he wants them to let their gentle spirit be known to all men. Verse 6, he wants them to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. Verse 8, he tells them to dwell or think on things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and commendable 
things that are excellent, things that are worthy of praise. Why is that? Well, because this is honorable to God. And this also contributes to our witness of the gospel. If you're not living in the Spirit or walking in the Spirit and you're giving into the flesh, that's no attraction to the gospel. That's no attraction to draw people to Christ. I mean, I remember numerous times as I worked in various places and and I would have people at times say something about my life and it was a commendable thing because I wasn't living what they were doing. I didn't sound like them, though I worked among them. I didn't do the things that they were doing, even though, again, I worked among them. I tried to share Christ with them. I tried to live Christ in front of them. And you know what? When you do that, people notice. And even when you get to the point in your life that you're willing to confront sin as it happens around you, people notice that too. And the Bible even says in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't look at persecution as something negative in your life. Look at it as something positive. That tells you something's going on that's right if you're being persecuted for Christ. You're, You're living loud enough in front of people that don't want to hear about Christ so they persecute you because they can't get to Christ So they persecute you because you represent Christ. But our witness is what is so important. And what we say, how we live, it will either give credit to the gospel or it will discredit the gospel. And we don't want to discredit it. And no one wants to be part of a church that does nothing but fight with each other, right? And say that they're worshiping God. I mean, the world sees that that is hypocrisy. We see it. And sure enough, the world sees it too. You know, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about something Jesus said in Matthew 5. And uh, he said in verse 23, he said, If you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, he says, Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come. And present your offering. So in other words, you're sitting here this morning, and you know that you have something against somebody. He says, stop what you're doing and go reconcile, and then come back and worship. Because being short of that, again, is hypocrisy. It's just the flesh. And God doesn't want us to live that way. So the church must exhibit these kinds of attitudes, not exhibiting the flesh. This should be at the very heart of how we treat one another. And our text this morning is no different. Last time we looked at rejoicing in the Lord and saw how Paul says that twice in verse 4. But again, notice verse 5, and this is where we're going to hang out for a little while today. He says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, in order for us to do what he's just said there in verse 5, You have to do what he said in verse 4. You have to be rejoicing in the Lord. And why is that? Well, because everyone, all believers, are to rejoice in the Lord. Now, I want to show you something. Last week, we looked at that term rejoice. We saw that Paul was commanding them to have joy in the midst of their circumstances, whether they were good or bad. They were to be joyful in the Lord, period, not joyful in all these other things going on. Many times people base their joy on circumstances, and he doesn't want us to base our joy on circumstances. He wants us to base our joy on the Lord. And if you want a circumstance to equate it with, then go to the cross. Go to the empty tomb. 
Go to that place when He drew you to Himself and saved you. But you don't want to go to the circumstances. But here's something that I didn't point out last week that I want to point out now. And it's in this term, rejoice. You don't see it in English. I don't see it in English. The only way that we're going to know what it's saying is you have to go to the Greek. Because the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. It wasn't written in English. And the Greek word that he's using here, this verb, rejoice, is in the plural. Hmm, that's interesting. It's in the plural. So what he is doing by using the plural, he's backing up. Now, where do you go when you back up? Anybody listed in verses 2 and 3? Well, look at verse 2. You have Iodia. You have Syntyche. Verse 3, you have true companion. Verse 3, you also have Clement. And then you have my fellow workers. So when he says rejoice in the Lord, he's backing up and including all of those people too. Now that's very important because we're going to see in just a moment that there was something going on where two people couldn't rejoice. And they certainly couldn't let their gentle spirit be known to all men because at that moment they didn't have a gentle spirit. At that moment, they weren't rejoicing. But Paul wanted them, if you back up to verse 1, he wanted them to stand firm in the Lord. And he wanted them to stand firm because they were all beloved. All of them had their names, according to verse 3, in the book of life. You know, if you're a Christian here this morning, your names are in the book of life. And they weren't added when you got saved. They were added before the foundation of the world. God wrote your name in the book of life before you were even born. What do you think about that? That ought to be something to cause you to rejoice. That he had you in his mind, even when he was on the cross suffering for your sin and my sin, before you even were here. And so that's why you've heard me say many times, when we look back at the cross, everything that Jesus did on the cross was our future. Think about it. He died for our sin, but we weren't born yet. We weren't here yet. But He died for all of our sin. Past, present, and guess what? Future. And just because He died for your future sin, that doesn't give you and I a license to sin, right? But it does tell us that He has forgiven us of all our sin, even before you commit it. That right there should be enough deterrent to run from it, to flee from youthful lusts, as Paul told Timothy. But, as I said, there is a problem, and their problem existed in verse 2. And it was between two women, Iodia and Syntyche. Now, we don't know what the problem was, other than is that they were not living in harmony in the Lord. And so that was a problem. And that also created problems, because if you're not living in harmony, then you're not going to rejoice in the Lord. You're not going to be gentle and let that gentleness be known to all men, because you have nothing to show anybody, because you're grieved, or you're in the flesh. And you certainly aren't going to pray. When you're caught up in division, schisms, arguments, contention, anger, the last thing you end up doing is praying. And if you do pray, it's in the flesh. Because it's more like, Lord, would you please get their attention? Lord, would you please help them? (laughs) 
when the prayer needs to kind of be turned inward, Lord, would you help me? Would you help me not to be contentious? Would you help me to be the peacemaker? You know, somebody has to be a peacemaker. That's true in marriage. That's true in all relationships. You know, you could carry this on all throughout the night, and you can find yourself doing other things Scripture says not to do. It says, like, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's that mean? Resolve it before you go to bed? Resolve it before you lay down at night? Before you retire the night? You know, deal with it. You don't want to go to bed with all of that going on. So there was a problem right here. Again, they were not living in harmony in the Lord, so they weren't able to rejoice. They weren't able to be gentle. They weren't walking in the Spirit. They were walking in the flesh. And Paul says that they needed to stand firm. Paul says they needed some help. They needed people to come alongside and help them. They needed to live in harmony. They needed to have the same mind. They needed to maintain the same love. They needed to be united in spirit. They needed to be intent on one purpose. I'm getting that from chapter 2, by the way. And verse 2, verse 3, essentially tells us that they were being selfish. You know, when you're arguing with one another and it's just creating contention and there's no resolve to that, you're both really being selfish at that point. You're not thinking about each other. You're not thinking about the whole body of Christ as a whole, the bigger picture. You're not thinking about the gospel. All you're thinking about is you have the right to not be treated like that. And we are big people on rights. I mean, we live in a country that has a lot of protection for us, even still for the church. I don't know if anybody ever went out and saw that movie I was recommending called The Essential Church. Um, It's not playing in any theaters anymore, but it is available on DVD, and it's also available on Salem Now, which is on the Internet. And for a very nominal fee, you can watch that. But in that movie, it was focusing on three pastors. Two of them were in Canada, and one of them was in California. Two of those pastors went to prison. They locked them up in jail because they allowed their church to meet during COVID. And they had a strict COVID lockdown. They couldn't meet. They had to, you know, have their distance. They had to wear their masks. They had to do all these different things. And they were trying to shut the churches down during that time. And it even occurred here. There were a lot of churches that shut down completely. You know that there are churches that still haven't met back together yet? And we've been out of this for some time now even though I'm hearing they're trying to bring it back. And you know why they're really trying to bring it back? This is the only political thing I'll say today. We have a coming election. And by the way, if I could recommend a movie, I started watching it yesterday. It's called 2,000 Mules. I won't say any more about it. But go check it out. It's a really, really good movie. But it's a true story. It's truth of what happened in our last elections. But here, they had lacked humility. Humility is, is, is what we need in order to be able to interact with each other. Because when you're humble, you're going to be willing to put a person above yourself. You're not going to put yourself above another person. You're going to humble yourself and meet each other's needs. It, it's like what I was uh, praying earlier, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer of Hebrews is telling the people not to forsake the assembly. And right before he says that, he says we need to consider one another. We need to stimulate one another. To what? To love and good deeds. 
That's what we should do. When we come together, we should stimulate one another. We should be all like little battery chargers, and we're just charging each other up, you know? You know, it's just like now they have a, a little device. In fact, me and Nathan can do this. We can set our phones on top of each other because we have the same phone, and I can actually steal his charge off his battery. I can let his phone charge my phone. It'll drain his phone, but it'll charge my phone. <laughs> that doesn't sound too good, does it? But that's not the idea I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that we charge one another up to where it drains us. No, we both get it from each other. And listen, if we're, if we're all serving each other, everyone's going to get the charge, right? Everyone is going to be built up. Everyone is going to be encouraged. And therefore, everyone can rejoice. All of us. Because at that moment, we're in harmony with each other. And we're standing firm because we are in harmony with each other. And we're standing firm because we are rejoicing in the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 3 about these two women. These two women had previously shared in Paul's struggle in the cause of the gospel. Listen, the more literal rendering in Greek says it this way. They fought side by side with him. They fought side by side with him. They were out there putting the gospel out too, and they were serving the church and serving the community. They had been in the same conflict that Paul had been in, in their battle for the gospel. But now they were out of harmony with each other. Someone said this, To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well... That's another story. I read that and I said, you know, that's really a lot of truth to it. Because it's another story because, listen, no one likes conflict. Who wants to go to a church that is fighting all the time? I don't. And when we're not in harmony, then division is present. Paul even warned the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.10 to agree and that they... Be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. We are to be of one mind, one heart, one judgment. We're to be unified in that way. In fact, he, he says that in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen to what he says. First, he says that we are to walk in all humility, verse 2, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, is just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One. We're to be one. And if you have some people in the fellowship going in this direction and some going in that direction, some going, we're not going to be one. We all need to be on the same page, if you will. And that's only going to happen as we humble ourselves, as we stand firm in the Lord, as we're living in harmony and we're rejoicing in the Lord, and as we're also showing gentleness. So everyone is to rejoice, not be in conflict. He advances that even further as we look at our text now in verse 5. And he tells us in verse 5 that, and we're, we're taking, taking verse 4 with us, joy actually produces gentleness. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed when you're joyful how gentle that you are? 
Because your mind's on the right things. Your mind is on the Lord. And you take on His Spirit. Jesus was gentle, wasn't He? He did confront the Pharisees. He confronted the religious leaders because He confronted them in their error and they needed to be confronted in their error. And there are a lot of people today that need to be confronted in their error. Otherwise, they're going to die in their sin, and we don't want anybody dying in their sin, right? We want to warn them. We want to call them to repent. We want to call them to come to Jesus, right? But he does tell us here, if you're carrying, like I said, verse 4 into verse 5, when you are rejoicing in the Lord, it's going to produce gentleness. Now, joy has of itself a tendency... As I said, to make us mild, to make us gentle. When you're joyful, gentleness is inevitable. They both work together. They both come from the Holy Spirit. Again, I remind you of Galatians 5.22. It says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And it also says it's gentleness. Those two are mentioned. So it comes from the Spirit of God. But let's notice the term that Paul uses there in verse 5 for gentle. It's been translated in various ways. In fact, William Tyndall's 1525 translation says it this way, Let your softness be known to all men. If you have a King James Bible, yours says, Let your moderation be known. If you have an ESV, Dwayne's not here. (laughs) The ESV, it says, Let your reasonableness be known. If you have an LSB, The Legacy Standard Bible, which is also the New American Standard Bible, it says to be considerate. But the best understanding of this term is really how it's translated in the New International Version. And it's the word gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. But that's only one side of the Greek concept. Linsky says the meaning of the word is yielding. It's not insisting on your legal rights, but you're yielding those rights. Or as another commentator says, it's waving apart and thereby rectifying the injustices of justice. You know what that means. Sometimes you have to do this in your marriage. It's like I heard one pastor say, you know, Again, somebody's going to be the peacemaker, and he says, sometimes, you know, I will just be that peacemaker. He's not patting himself on the head, but he's just saying somebody's got to do it. And he says, you know, I'll do that even though I know I'm right. I know I'm right. Everybody knows I'm right, except for my wife. She didn't think I'm right. And so he'll just be the peacemaker. Listen, the archetype of this grace is God, right? He doesn't press the strictness of His law against us as we deserve. Now think with me for just a moment. Psalm 130 verse 3 says this, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. If God marked every one of your iniquities, you wouldn't be able to stand up at all. Instead, He's forgiven you of every one of them. Aren't you thankful for that? You've been listening today to The Believer's Gentleness. It's taken from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5. This message is available on one full-length audio CD. And you can get it today by calling us at 904-651-3351. If you'd like, you can download the free MP3 from our website at www.changedbygrace.com. 
www.ctcc.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I want to thank you for listening to us today. And I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together from God's Word. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I want to invite you this morning to worship with us at Eastport Baptist Church. Eastport is biblical, expository, and reformed. We would love to meet you this morning and worship together. We meet at 11 o'clock. So I hope that you'll come and join us. We look forward to meeting you.